is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Let's rock! Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Christian Mosca, and Perry Chicos. And Xander House, who's sitting in the wings, uh, a part of the show. Thanks for being here, Xander, and everyone else. Uh, we are here tonight to discuss the theatrical version of Alien 3 versus the assembly cut. But before we get into that, there's some late break- breaking news um, about the next Alien film directed by Feta Alvarez that we broke actually yesterday, sort of. We'll get into that. And we w- really wanted to discuss it. And really, the news is, for those of you who don't have social media, which are probably a lot of people, and the title of the Fede Alvarez film is, at least the working title, is Alien Romulus. And uh, yeah, and they it's going to go in front of cameras on, by February 6th, I believe, which is in less than two months. And uh, so, yeah, that's pretty interesting. The title is fairly, uh, I don't know. The title means a lot to me. I mean, in terms of like what they're suggesting with a title like that. So I thought we would open it up for discussion before we move on to the main event. So, yeah, this is a really exciting announcement. I have to say, I was actually in Vermont in the wilderness during this, so I've kind of missed out on it. But if you guys can kind of get me up to speed a little bit, I would love to to hear. I have to say, Romulus, as a former Latin scholar, uh, means a lot to me. And I don't know if that has any direct connotation to the, what the film's going to be about. As Jamie mentioned, it's a working title currently, so we don't know if that's the actual name of the film. But I don't know, Christian, what, what, do, you, what do you got for us? Well, I mean, if we look, for example, at Prey, it started out as Skulls and then was Skull. Um, didn't Covenant go through a few names? Wasn't it like Paradise Lost at Paradise one point? Paradise Lost, yeah. You know, the, these it's not uncommon for these names to to go through these cycles. Um, the working title for Alien 5 was Red Harvest as a reference to Return of the Jedi, which was Blue Harvest, you know, things like that. Personally, I'm hoping that even if they don't keep the name Romulus, that at least it was chosen similar to Paradise Lost, like chosen with with a purpose, with some kind of an idea um, because I can see a way that it could resonate with, with the plot. Um, it's funny because in the end, uh, Covenant didn't really mean much. It was the name of the ship, but I don't know. It's kind of a, kind of a lame title. And similarly, I think that certain people are going to get hung up on Romulus because of Star Trek. And some folks felt that Covenant was, was too tied to Halo as opposed to a biblical meaning. But with Romulus, you know, do you guys want to talk about what that could possibly mean or what, what do you have, Jamie? So I know, you know, where Romulus comes from in terms of mythology, Remus and Romulus. And uh, 
also it ties into raised by wolves. Remus and Romulus were raised by wolves. Uh, so there's that tie into that HBO series as well. I mean, those aren't, it's not that it's tied into it, but the name, the name just, it doesn't, it's not one of those names where they can just, th- they threw that name on there or they've chosen that name for a reason. It's, it's, it's full of meaning. And now I don't know. It also sounds like something Ridley Scott chose to be quite honest with you. I, maybe they were, they were like going through what would be a great name for this film or a great code name for the film or whatever. And Romulus seems like a name Ridley Scott have, would have chosen. Now I have some theories on, well, first of all, I think Romulus is either the name of the ship or it's the name of the colony. I'm going with the name of the colony. That's what, so that's kind of what I have right now. What do you think Perry? Yeah, I I really enjoy the name. I love the the mythology behind it and being Romulus being like the founder of Rome and the raised by wolves uh scenario Jamie like that whole backstory to the, to the name specifically, right? I just think adds uh a lot of depth there to what this could be. I mean, who knows, we could be way off, right? But I I know Jamie to your point like if if Ridley Scott had some sort of influence in there um yeah i kind of agree with you i think it's you know either the ship or gonna be the name of the colony but will it have implications on the uh you know maybe the 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 backstory or the theme or like is this gonna be the founders of something that builds into the alien um just legacy or story uh you know would is just really exciting to think about and just getting i think a little bit more bits of information here and there just like makes it a little bit more real and like i can grasp this with my with my hands almost and so it's just getting um really exciting to uh to see that it is really exciting and i think that there might be more to the name than we're giving it credit for because uh, I, I mean, if who knows if this actually is going to stick for the actual film itself, but there's more to Romulus and Remus than just the fact that you know they were found being raised by being sucked, you know, suckered by a wolf. Uh, the they were they disagreed about where to build the city, right? So they ended up as anybody who's been to Rome knows there's like seven major hills that kind of define the landscape of the city, and they they wanted to start the city on different hills, and so they actually there was war between them about this, not like physical war, but there was a disagreement, uh, and that I think could have something to do with this too. This could be one of you know there maybe there's kind of dif- differing ideas on where to go next with whatever is happening that's leading them to this colony in the first place. Maybe this is the this is the one that took a chance on the wrong side of the Palatine or something. You know, I think there could be really something to that. But there's also this idea of foundational myths, right? A lot of cultures throughout history have at their core a myth about how they came to be that is impossible, because there's this idea, there's this notion baked into Roman, you know, mythology that it was too great to have been of this world, right? That it had to have started from something superhuman, from something almost like a deus ex machina, something impossible that just sprung up. So the idea of, you know, a bunch of people taking over Etruscan villages and making them into a city was way less enticing than the idea of something coming from nature and birthing this impossible event. And these people who didn't even have human mothers that they could trace back to that, like that they just sprung from the world and created something magical. There's a lot to that with the a lot of the hubristic ideas that we see popping up in things like Prometheus and Covenant, 
but also with this idea of like, maybe this is supposed to be the beginning of a brave new age, or maybe this is the chasing of a dream. And that dream is founded on something fundamentally untruthful or something deceitful, you know? So there could be, there could be more to it than we think. There's definitely more to it. Oh, go ahead. Also at its base, if you take the wolf as the the concept of something that is usually uh, an aggressive predatory species, and it's now, you know, positioned as something that is raising these people raising this person at the very least um is it an alien is it the is it the the black goo i mean there's the potential there that romulus as something that has been fundamentally altered or um or kept alive by something that would otherwise be threatening that could be the origin of the name i don't know i i think there's so many different ways this could work i kind of hope it sticks too yeah, I'm think? getting kind of attached to it. I gotta say, <laughs> I kind of like it. I like it too. It's it's unusual, and and I I I think that that works for an alien film or an alien project. I do I do suspect that even though the prequels are done, air quotes, I suspect with Ridley Scott's involvement that there's going to be some bow tying going on in this movie, and that maybe the planet they crash into is Aura J6, Aura Gay, however you say it. Like, there's going to be, but it's going to be very slight. It's going to be just a nod. It's going to be something to kind of finish that story, but also tell its own very contained story. I just, and certainly with that name, and again, it kind of is remnant of Prometheus. It's got that mythological, uh, has mythological connotations, essentially. I feel like there is going to be some tie to covenant or something just tying up that story and what happened to David. I don't know. We'll probably obviously not see Michael Fassbender or the, those characters in it, but I just, that's just what my gut tells me that there's going to be some connection to the prequels. It's going to end with somebody planting wheat. They're actually going to fall through glass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Michael Douglas in the game joke, which people who are tuning in now won't get, but that was right before we started recording that movie. I'm not a fan of it, but other people are. Anyway, I think this is a really exciting announcement. And and if, if nothing else, at least this is the most concrete thing we have received to date that this project is not only happening, I mean, it is in it is ramping into production right now. That means that things are being built. That means that sets are in place. It means that the stuff in Budapest is all figured out. It means that licenses have been granted. It means that properties have been rented. It means that this is actually really happening. And that means that like after the holidays, I'm sure people are flying over there and getting to work on this thing. And, uh, and it's really coming down the pipeline. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about when this was going to come out and we were thinking, you know, maybe late 2023, uh, early 2024. I think, I think we're on track for a late 2023, like, you know, third or fourth quarter 2023 release, which is fantastic. It's coming really soon, which is pretty great. And and I definitely think this means that alien day is going to be a fucking exciting time because we are going to see footage on alien day. And, uh, also with prey. I believe they, the film was released late in the same year it, it wrapped. From what I know, it wrapped in twenty. Wait, it came out. Wait a minute, did Prey come out early this summer? Yeah, this summer. No. Yeah, so I think it wrapped in February or something or... like that. It wrapped sometime earlier this year. I think. I could be wrong. I'm an expert on nothing. Please don't send me hate mail. Jamie doesn't know what he's talking about. As usual. get canceled. What an idiot. The level also, game's great. love the game the amount of cgi that may be needed for a science fiction film versus you know i mean prey has definitely a lot of cg in it but but not we we don't know we have no idea how fede is approaching this material 
Now, did you guys notice when we posted this story that um, artist in front of the show, Dane Hallett, posted a GIF of a zipper mouth? Did you guys see that? I'm just saying. No, but that's, that's no. pretty exciting. Yeah. And it tracks with some things that we may know about. That's really, really cool. And I do want to say, though, Christian, I have a bone to pick with you. Uh, which is a minor one, which is that I think we do know more about Fede's process in terms of visual effects than we might realize because he has made a point in many films, including Evil Dead, but also Don't Breathe, of using as much practical and camera stuff as possible. And he's talked about that quite a bit as part of his core filmmaking philosophy. So I think that means that like he's going to try to keep this in camera wherever he can. You know, it's actually funny you say that because there's a shot in Don't Breathe that has... Um, a companion in uh, Panic Room by David Fincher, but David Fincher went CG and it, ha- it has aged very, very poorly. Whereas Fede's, because they built the set specifically to allow that that movement through, I, it's always- You're talking about the, the long tracking shot oh, yeah. through the house? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Pointing out this will be important, but mm-hmm. you don't know why, you know? You see the hammer on the wall. Yeah. Yep. I'm I'm hoping for an incredibly claustrophobic- set like build build an actual physical set but that the action takes place in maybe it's some sort of a um an enclosed colony or whatever it's going to be and and not don't give me the volume don't give us any of that kind of stuff um we'll see we will indeed i'd love to hear we'd love to hear what you guys think our listeners uh what do you think about the name what do you think about what do you think the film's going to be about i mean we've talked about the basic story and to patrick's point uh, as April rolls around, I think it's going to be a really exciting time. And the most exciting time as an alien fan in terms of build up for a new film or certainly a show, which I don't know when we'll get that Holly show, but it's, it's just this, these are the times that I live for, uh, the excitement, uh, before a film releases is the best. Everyone's excited. Things are dropping images, video. So I, I can't wait to see what, what comes next. So with that, we are on to our discussion about Alien 3 and the theatrical edition versus the assembly edition. And as we open that up, I'm just curious for all of you guys here and you, of course, Xander, when did you find out that the assembly cut was something that was that existed? Well, when the terribly named quadrilogy came out, uh, that was one of the selling points was obviously we had the special edition of Aliens for you know, that, that since 1991, 90? 92, I think, of the laser disc, right? Was it 92? Um, and then, of course, the the director's cut of Alien had a theatrical re-release. So, I don't know. The, it became a selling point for the quadrilogy, was that they were going to have expanded versions of all four films. So that's the first that I knew about it, but I can't remember now what year the quadrilogy was. Mid-oddies. I think it was 2004, but yeah. the uh, laser disc was 1991. So you were right the first time. And now I'm going to fact check my, my other date. Give me a second. A friend of it's mine. Early uh, 2000s for sure. I remember purchasing it at Target, I think. Yeah. A friend of mine dubbed down his laser disc to VHS for me at the special edition. That was, that was sweet. December yeah, I, 2nd, 2003. So close. Oh, there we go. I think that was the first time that I knew well i don't want to say new of it but but watch the assembly cut I, th- I think in full um was on the quadrilogy and but i i think i always just like 
I know I talk about uh, my buddy Chris and I a lot when we were kids because we were like the only ones that watched the alien movies and and then had the Kenner toys and played with them growing up. But um, through like the little bit of internet that we had like growing up, I think I like knew of this other cut of alien or just like things that they had shown, right? Like the, the queen face hugger and things like that, that we might've not have seen. And and, and it was done without the dog um, and stuff like that. And so, but I'd never really got like a chance to see it. And because the VHS I owned was obviously the theatrical cut. And I watched that um, a ton. Uh, But yeah, I think, I think it was with the quadrilogy was the first time that I at least got to see it. I love that DVD set. That's all I was going to say, Christian. I, I, I am like kicking myself because I did not know. It's like at my parents' house somewhere. I don't know where it is up in the attic. I got to find that thing. There was a VHS version of some alternate cut of alien three that supposedly was making the rounds at conventions. And at that time I was, avidly buying like J horror on VHS, you know, dubs of, of uh, the ring movies, stuff like that. So I'm really surprised that I didn't see it, but I didn't see it. And, and no one I knew had, had even heard of that. How about you guys? When did you first see it? 2004, when I got the quadrilogy, the reason why I think of it as 2004 is because when 2003 rolled around, I did not have enough money for that because it was in my, we've had an argument about this before. I remember it being like crazy, like a hundred dollars when it came out. But that could be because I was a student and I didn't have any money. And I the quadrilogy, like, yeah, it was like, oh yeah, it so was like money. It, it was, it like was a, right, one hundred and fifty dollars. It was yeah, crazy. okay, right, okay, good. I, I remember being like crazy. So it's like something I had to save, up, like actually save up for, like you know, like allowance money, save up for. And I got it like a year after it came out. And uh, and a major reason I got it, like Christian was saying, was because there were these like all the other versions of the films, and I've I of course already seen, you know, two of them. But uh, but the Alien Three one was this like big unknown question. And the first time I watched it, I did not like it. And I have had a complicated personal history with this, which we've talked about somewhat because we've broached this topic earlier this year. So I don't want to be too repetitive personally, but um, I feel very differently about the assembly cut now that we've had the chance to talk with Charlie about it in such incredible detail. And now that I've had, you know, all of you telling me more about what you see in it that I might've missed in it. I feel like I've evolved quite a bit on it, but for a long time, I did not like it because Alien 3, the theatrical version, really is like my favorite movie ever other than Alien. Like It's like one of the most important movies to me. And I felt like the assembly cut played fast and loose with it a little bit in that it really dilated things. So the runtime got kind of wonky to me and the proportions felt off and the action really stops about three quarters of the way through. And it felt you know, kind of janky. And then the cardinal sin for me was that Ripley's ending was different. And her ending in the theatrical cut is like my favorite thing in any movie ever, other than Derelict in the first film. So for a long time, I was kind of like an angry nerd about this. And it was something that people would always bring up. Like anytime Alien 3 comes up, people are like, did you hear that there's like an alternate edition of it? And I'd be like, well, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I look back on, on myself, blah, 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 now. And I think, I don't think I was giving it enough of a chance because I, I couldn't see past the love that I had for the original version of it. And I have evolved quite a bit on that. Jamie, what about you? So this is going to be shocking to you guys. I didn't watch the assembly cut until two years ago because I, I never needed to. I'd seen a couple of clips here and there. The theatrical cut was the theatrical cut was enough for me. And it is hard for me to watch like 
the theatrical cut, even of Aliens, is a beautiful, perfect thing. Why do I need to see more? It ruins it for me in some ways. However, I'm not like, I don't dislike the theatrical cut. It just doesn't work for me as, I'm sorry. I don't not like the assembly cut. It doesn't work for me as well as the theatrical cut. I think what is found in the assembly cut is really interesting. There's a couple of repetitive things that I can't get on board in that cut, which is when they put the alien in the, you know, in the lead works in the, in the, what's the thing called? The The foundry? The toxic waste. Yeah, yeah. And then of course it gets out and you know, it's going to get out. You know, it's going to get out because the film's, like halfway over so they're not going to end it so it felt fairly predictable it was like okay but i do it like the idea that gallic is obsessed with it right it's gallic right yeah gallic is obsessed yep. with it and of course he lets it out and there's other moments in the assembly that are really beautiful and just these quiet moments that i love seeing i love the footage i just don't i feel like it loses its momentum but at the same time the theatrical cut does have a, a, a gaping hole which is gallic he disappears. We never see him again. So that's kind of where I stand on it. And I watched it again. So I've seen the th- assembly cut in my life three times. The third time was with Charles. It'll nest in this area. Right around here. How do you know that? It's like a lion. It sticks close to the zebras. Zebras? Oh, right. But look, running around down here in the dark, are you kidding? Once you get out of this main shaft, there's no overheads. Don't we have flashlights? Yeah, we got thousands of them, but no batteries. I told you nothing works. Torches? Do we have the capacity to make fire? Most humans have enjoyed that privilege since the Stone Age. No need to be sarcastic. Yeah, so now every time I watch Alien 3, I just watch the assembly cut because I enjoy like the extra little bit of just story, I guess that you get with it. And I know, I know, yeah, I don't know. So I, I've watched it a lot now, <clears throat> but um, I just, uh, I can see where decisions were made to like, keep the pace a little bit quicker. Um, Cause like when they're uh, towards the end too, like when they're going to trap, the beast in in the toxic waste containment uh just like the fire exploding and like a lot of that like repetitive stuff that they that they'd cut out of there i guess to make that a little bit quicker but yeah but jamie to your point right like gallic just like disappears just like oh it's the end of his storyline sort of thing <laughs> like, we're never gonna figure that out but it kind of you know just like especially when I was younger, I guess I didn't really like, I wasn't thinking that much into it because I was, I, you're so <clears throat> contained on Ripley and, and her, you know, finding out that she has the queen inside of her and just like, how is she going to deal with this? And and what is she going to do? And the, and the people are coming, she doesn't want them to come. And 85's like, I want to get out of here. I don't, you know, like I'm not, and they're all arguing with him. And, and so, um yeah i i uh can I, like i said i could see where some decisions were made um i think the only thing I, I i can't remember if this is specific you guys will have to help me but uh the uh the use of they were like <clears throat> the scene at the towards the end where they're deciding what they're going to do to trap the beast in the lead works and do and run through the hallways and do all that and fight it and um Dylan has his 
what are you going to do? Stand around and do nothing. His big speech. But they they like some of the audio, right, wasn't that great for their vocals. And they had to record it in a studio and then like punch it in. And you could definitely tell. And I can't remember if that's if it, it must be that same way in both cuts of the film, I would think. But that's like the only part of the movie, I guess, in general, where like at the end, I'm like, oh, man, like the audio here is like really bad <laughs> um, just during that part specifically. From the, the first moment in 2003 that I saw the assembly cut, I have never gone back. In fact, it's just the other day I watched a little bit of the theatrical cut because there was something I wanted to compare. And you have to remember with the quadrilogy, it was they had to put subtitles on because the audio was so bad in some of these parts. And for the, the later Blu-ray release, they actually got the actors back to re-record some of, those, some of that dialogue. Mm-hmm. I put up with the terrible audio quality and the subtitles because I found so much more value in the assembly cut than in the theatrical cut. Um, I have a few minor quibbles with, with some of the choices they made that we'll talk about later, but uh, no, I've, I've never, I've never gone back, but I prefer the long cut of all four movies, which means theatrical cut for alien special edition for aliens assembly cut. And then even though alien resurrection isn't a movie that I ever watch, the expanded cut actually gives a little more characterization. And I like that they land on earth and we see, you know, what France looks like, I guess, but drenched in, uh, in urine is what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that whole movie is remember piss Christ. The, uh, <laughs> the controversial picture. That's if you could put a green filter on the edge, everything he does. <sighs> can I, can I just say too, I, I do, I guess one thing I, and now I want to go back and watch the theatrical cut again. But one thing I do, I think, enjoy from the theatrical cut is the ending. I, I don't know. I think it just is like more meaningful, I guess, that the ch- that the queen pops out of her chest while she's fa- while she's like falling to her demise and she's trying to save humanity and, you know, kind of like I'm going to end this like Ripley isn't going to let anyone else be in control of it. Like she knows what she has to do. And it's kind of like that one last final, like, because the creature wants to survive, man, it's going to do anything it can to survive. And it's just, uh, it's like, no, you're not like, I'm, I'm holding you in, like, you're coming, like, we're all going down in the ship together, sort of a thing. And I, I do enjoy that. Um, Aside from the assembly cut, but I, I still watch the assembly cut. I don't know. Uh, Xander I, in the comments, uh, just briefly, uh, had, a, had a couple of things I wanted to just circle back to. He was mentioning how the first time he discovered that the existence of this thing was by a Google image search and that it took a long time to actually track a copy of the DVD down. And I think that is the case for a lot of people. I, I think a lot of people find this movie because they find out that there's an alternate birth sequence for the creature because for for a lot of people i think the shorthand for the assembly cut is it's like the ox version right and the shorthand for the theatrical is that it's the dog version so i think what happens for a lot of people is they find you know they're looking up images of alien three years whatever and they see either the queen face hugger or they see the ox in that in that weird art deco bathroom looking thing and they're like what is this other version of the movie so it still has this kind of underground quality to it because you know i mean alien three in its own right has an underground quality because most of the world doesn't like it you know so it's been kind of forgotten about and this is like the it's like another view on, on a forgotten thing but jamie go ahead you're going to say something well to that point to the ox scene versus the dog i think the dog is just more effective it looks more real i think both scenes in general don't they look like 
puppetry. They don't look, I mean, especially the ox scene, it just looks fake as fuck. Like it just looks terrible. Um, but the dog bursting scene just feels more, it feels more biting. It feels more, just feels more real. It just has a, 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 a more realistic quality to it, which I really love. So, and, and if we're going to go like comparison, again, theatrical, it's just, it's a smoother transition. It just moves the, uh, the film along a little bit more. Whereas that ox scene, it just doesn't feel like they really thought it out fully before they executed it. I don't know. And then like, you could just tell the way the ox was moving. It was like, they're just moving this big puppet. They're moving its its limb like a little, like someone had a, their arm and they were just kind of moving its limb. It just was terrible. But within each seed, there was a promise of a flower. <laughs> but to what Perry was talking about in terms of the Ripley death, and the chest burster. And it's so interesting. I don't, when I see it in the assembly, I'm fine with her just kind of falling in, but it does feel less impactful that you see this thing burst from her chest. And then she holds it to her chest as she's falling in the, the molten lead. Like to me, there's a, there's a sense of uh, what I get that sense of finality with that. Whereas with, without it, it doesn't feel like it. I don't feel like it, but maybe that's just because, I'm used to it seeing that movie dozens upon dozens of times with the the queen chestburster. So the without it it just doesn't work for me at all. It's way more effective with it in my in my opinion. Uh, to me that is like that is one of the things that I've always had an issue with with the assembly because I think for one thing it validates the whole thing like that's the first clear indication that like everybody including Ripley has that like it truly was this new queen inside of her and like that it's there and then that, that her final act is one that is almost tender, which is really beautiful too. Instead of this, because you know, when the assembly she falls back and it's just a kind of messianic falling into lava thing. But in this one, she ends with an embrace and she pulls it down with her. Uh, and not obviously it's not in a tender way, but every time there's there's been a chest bursting sequence, it's been and punching through ribs and people screaming. And this one is it's almost it's almost like there's something quasi-maternal about it. I mean, it's also something literally maternal about it because she's birthing it. But there's Which something about that makes sense. But I think that, but it's it's something about like it's it's like she is ending her story as the other as the creature is ending its story, and it's, she's like pulling it almost like to uh, to to a conclusion. You know? Can you imagine Kane saying, "Oh, hey guys, I just birthed this thing here. Look at this," and holding it up with his hands? Every every other death we've seen, every other birth of a of an alien, the host is checked out. Their you know their ribs have been cracked up, and their the the amount of of internal hemorrhaging that would be going on. It's, there are a couple of moments in Alien 3 that are so, they're too neat. It's too, there's a little bow wrapped on it. And that's one of them. And that, that ends the movie for Ripley is really hard for me because there's an integrity to the, the, to the, um, to the assembly cut. She dies and it's completely her own choice. She, you know, there, there's no sense of she was in the in the midst of the the chest burster coming out when she fell or anything like that. She just she goes. Um, on the other hand, the creature is beautifully rendered. The puppet of the of the queen chest burster is absolutely gorgeous, and it boggles my mind that the same people of four years later made a completely different shoddy looking puppet for alien resurrection the opening scene where they take the, the chest burster out of her it is a terrible looking version and i don't i don't understand that but anyway careful 
two centimeters. I, I I am a little bit torn only because I think that the alien looks good at the end. And so I'm, you know, the 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 creature feature part of my brain loves that moment, but I don't think it I don't think it makes logical sense in a movie that already is having a hard time keeping its logic straight. And I feel like if all we knew was the 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 version where Ripley falls without the chest burster, I think we all would be very satisfied with it. I think that we have that problem of having the two to compare. And we get a really good look at the x-ray. We know that it's a queen in there. We don't really need to see it, but so I don't know. Of the things that I would, that I'm, of the, the changes between the two that I am slightly torn about, I have to admit that one is a little bit, just because I do like seeing how the, the jaws on the, on the puppet work. I think they look really, really good, but I'm still very much in favor of Ripley going out completely conscious of, of her own choice. So I think, yeah, go ahead, Patrick, just to push back for a second. So to, to me, it, re- it reads as visual poetry. It reads as a moment of, if not magical realism, something kind of approaching that. And I think it works because of a couple of things. I think one Ripley is the first incubator host of the creature who's had as much time to come to terms with what's going to happen as she has had, you know, because not only does she have all of the time, however many hours it is since, you know, they, they find it to that moment in the film, which is actually a timeline that we try to figure out and kind of grope around for in the past, but it seems like it's something like six or seven hours, maybe who knows. Uh, not only does, is there that, but she also has all the previous experience with having is the timeline wrong, Christian, you're giving me a look. Are you saying it's six or seven hours that the movie takes place over? No. That, so okay. from when she gets the scan in the, oh, okay. in the all right. yeah, that, that's in, in my head canon. It's something like that. It's like it's it's that, hours, but it's it's quite a few hours. So she has a lot of time to kind of prepare tries. herself for this. Yeah. Right. Um, but then in addition to that, she knows what's happened because she has been through it more than any, any other human in the universe of alien has. So she knows what her fate is in a very intimate way. And at the end of the day, she's fucking Ripley. Like she's Ellen Ripley. She is the one who has done the impossible all the time throughout this whole thing. So to me, in that context, her final poetic heroic moment of, of clutching it to her chest, it's like the last, the last one up that she had over the creature. And it it just it just reads to me well. The other reason why I think it works is that it takes away some of the attention from the lake of fire effect behind her, which is not aged very well. And even when I saw that as a kid, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what's the scale of this thing? But even that, though, I will say registers as poetic to me. It's probably because I love the movie so much, honestly. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying is probably bullshit because I love it and, and I give it too many passes. But to me, when I see that all all encompassing lake of fire that she's falling into, it reads as almost like, you know, uh, like uh, uh, magic realism. It reads as something impossible to me. And it's like in the context of a movie that's already really laced with all of these religious references and these very kind of strange quasi spiritual overtones and these, you know, intimations of the great beyond and the unknown. There's something about that, that like, it just, it, it, it works for me. Jamie, what were you going to say? First of all, Xander brought up a really great point saying if, you know, Ripley can hold on in the, in the airlock and aliens and that thing, the, the, the queen is holding onto her foot, which is completely ridiculous. Her, her leg would have been completely torn off. Her body. I mean, she would not have survived that. She would have been, she would have just been torn limb from limb with the the amount of pressure that the queen was holding on to. But we believed it and we were okay with it. So I also think that if we can suspend our disbelief for that, we can also suspend it for an alien popping out of her chest at the end of Alien 3. Like, eh, they're kind of like a little bit of both the same thing to some degree. Um, but 
to Christian's point, and it's, it's also a good point. Like it was a very like sacred, like, Oh, it's burst from my chest. I'm going to hold it. It was very, it's very like almost religious. It's kind of, it is a little bit ridiculous, but I, I, but I also, again, to your point, Christian, I feel like in the assembly cut, when we're seeing Ripley fall into the, the lead, if they would have done that slower, if it would have taken twice the time, it would have been, it's so fast. Whereas with the theatrical cut, there's a lot more going on in that shot in terms of the the birth of the, the queen that it, by the time we see Ripley fall into that lead, it kind of, it, it's this moment. We just get this moment of, of not peace, but just this moment that we can say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with the assembly, I don't have that moment. And I think it's the lack of time they took to, to watch her fall in. It's just, Oh, she's in. It's gone. It's, it's done. Let's move on. And I felt like Ripley needed more time and the theatrical cut gave her that gave her more time. Essentially. It does give her one last action after the jump, which, you know, and and so it it not only extends it time-wise, but also there's a, there's a, not that I think the, the chest pressure could have jumped and made it, you know, onto the, the gantry or whatever, but it's one more thing that Ripley does to save the world or whatever. So I don't know. That's interesting. I'm surprised that you guys are, are, um, uh, or at least Jamie's being so hard on the ox. I vastly prefer the ox scene. That's really interesting. Really? It's oh, just yeah. because it looks fake as fuck to me. That's why. I, I would be on board if it didn't look fake. Yeah. Um, the The problem with the dog is that it means there's more time spent with the actor who plays Murphy, and he's not a very good actor, and he gets a lot of, like, what what, what is the line? You know, what, what, would what do kind of animal dog? would do this to a dog? Yeah. It's, it's a really bad line and it's delivered directly to the camera. Um, but also, okay. A couple things about that. I don't like the funeral scene anyway, but I really don't like it with the dog because it's my least favorite scene too. In the, in the alien. Uh, is it? It's the, this, the, the amount of heavy handedness, the, the sense I have of the director trying to manipulate emotions but also thinking that he has something that is more meaningful than it is like those crossfades between all of the people's faces, people mostly who we, we have not met or will not see again. I don't know. I just, I, all of that's ridiculous. And then to add the dog, he's already, he's already done an autopsy on a little girl. Now he's going to show a dog in pain. I don't know. I just, you get, you get this hotshot young guy directing. That's the energy that I get from all of that. But also, and this is, slightly more meta maybe when you look at the original intention of the film there is no what we now call the dna reflex there's none of that the the runner comes out of an ox it has nothing to do with the source you know there, there's it's not a big lumbering animal made to you know that, that can that can haul things it's not like pulling things around yet it's really not if there had been a cougar you know or a puma or something that'd be different but so when you take that away, I'm not a fan of the DNA reflex. I, that just feels like what it really was. It was made to sell action figures, right? So you take the ox and not only do we, do we get away from that whole ridiculousness and, and where that has led, you instead have to question, all right, because now we, we have the, uh, the queen face hugger. So you have two aliens having come from a single face hugger and this new one is different. Why is this new one different? And you get into all these interesting ideas about 
the idea of a protector, something, an, an alien that has different characteristics because its entire purpose is to protect the unborn queen. And I think that's really interesting. And finally, the ox is dead. There's, it's not a living creature anymore. And yet the creature, the alien still is born from it. And that's an interesting idea. And this film needs new ideas. Watching a dog suffer is not a new idea. We've already seen Kane go through this. We've already seen the lady in the cocoon and aliens go through this. So, so seeing something new, even though, to your point, Jamie, I don't think it was particularly well executed. It is kind of a, a, a big floppy you know, ox puppet, but it's still a very interesting idea. And it takes the, uh, the funeral scene down a notch. It stops trying to be quite so, you know, hard on your sleeve kind of, I don't know. I just, that the quicker that scene is done, the better for me. I, I do think in general, and I still can't wrap my head around this, why the effects in alien three are so shitty mostly. And why the compositing is so bad. Like you're, you're, you're making your film on the heels of alien, which changed the game and aliens, which changed the game again. And these are the effects that like, what was going on? Like what was going on that the effects are so shitty. So uh, that I mean, uh, even as much as I love the dog birth, chest burst or whatever, it's still problematic. It's still kind of fake looking as well, but I, I see what you're going for Christian. But at the same time, I, I also feel like, the biology or the physiology of like, or in terms of the life cycle of the creature itself, it needs a living host. So it wouldn't make sense that it's inside of a dead host. It needs cells that are alive. To me, it would just make sense as a, as a living organism. It needs another living organism to then keep it alive because if it's dead and its cells are dying, how is that also going to affect the, the chest burster or the, the alien that's inside it? So to me, that doesn't really hold up at all. I mean, but at the same time, like, I do think it's interesting and maybe they do do that when there's nothing else, but at the same time, that ch that face hugger could have jumped on any one of those prisoners, but it didn't, it decided to go for an ox, which I, it had many opportunities based off the editing where it could have jumped on a prisoner, but it didn't, but maybe they just wanted to do something different. And I also understand like a dog, like we all love dogs. We are, you know, we all, we all have, you know, our, we're just dogs are a part of our lives and our family. So that's pretty brutal to do that. Certainly in 2022 eyes, but it falls in line with who David Fincher is kind of like, I'm going to fuck you fuck around with your sensibilities. I'm not going to, you're not going to be safe with me. And I like that. Yeah, it was blowing my mind how much I'm disagreeing with you tonight, Christian. As much as I typically agree with you on things like it, and I, Jamie and I have talked about this too. The burial sequence is one of my favorite things on a film, period. I think it is so profound. It is also so on the nose and so overt and so extreme, but it just works for me as, as a visual metaphor. And I think part of why it works like the game is <laughs> the game. <laughs> Part of why it works so well, I think, is all the cross dissolves being on all these people that we don't know yet. It's suggesting that they have a, a life too beyond the scope of this movie and that they had a journey that they were on. So when I'm watching that, I'm not watching it like kind of a soap opera, which uses a lot of the conventions of telenovelas. And I'll give you that, you know, I'm watching it more like the universe is a larger thing than these films have been granting us a picture of, right? Like we have experienced the world of alien through very tight lenses, right? With either one person or a small group of people on a very particular, you know, vessel doing something. And in that sequence, we see this little glimpse into life and death on a grander scale. And this idea that like 
that there's more out there in the universe of alien than we've seen yet. And we, we those little those little moments of overlaying and interlaying, and the dog dying and the birth coming out and the beauty of birth juxtaposed with death and blah blah blah. I don't know. To me, it just works really well. I, I'm also trying to keep myself in check because this movie came out when I was a seven year old and I saw it shortly after that. And that might have colored my feelings about it because it was very emotional as a little kid to see Ripley going through this. But like, I, I still, when I watch those movies, like I, I still tear up every single time we get to that sequence. And 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 I don't, I don't know why, other than the fact that it works for me as a signifier of the greater narrative driving Alien, besides just the one that we've been given with Ripley. The other thing, though, is uh, I find it like laughable that there were because that that fucking cow. And I'm going to call it a cow, even though it's an ox. Was dead for like a long time. Like that was that hadn't just had a heart attack and fallen over and jumped out. Like that thing was dead. Like no, that it, was it just it just dragged the EEV off the beach. Yeah, but it was but it was already it was dead for long enough that they actually like hung it up on the wall and shit. Like it was like it was a dead animal. It wasn't like yeah. if if it had been if it had been like so say the ox was walking you know was walking along pulling the EEV it's, and then it's <laughs> on a, it's on the cart. They drag it off the cart and they put it on the hook, and that's how they discover the face hugger. They literally right. do it in front of us. Yeah, it, but I guess, it, but well, yeah, I guess maybe it's not that long. You know, what it, it reads to me like it's been a long time. But my, my point being, maybe it's not. My point being, it's weird to me that in this very clearly symbiotic relationship that the creature has with this host, that that it would be using a dead host, right? Maybe it would work. Maybe if 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 it was you know in an emergency and it needed to get out, that's what would happen. But I think, as Jamie was mentioning, David Fincher, especially at the time of Alien Three, which he made, of course, as a six year old um, who was very stressed out, you know, he was very much a nihilist in his aesthetics at that point. And the whole film is an exercise in that, to its detriment or betterment, depending on who you ask. And I think eighty five percent of the world would say it's detriment but you know uh, part of why i love it is because there are no sacred cows literally or figuratively in this movie um, <laughs> that's actually pretty good uh i think that like the fact that it comes out of a dog is significant because it is another chink in that progression of nothing is sacred in this universe and therefore you know nothing is safe and uh and i i don't know jamie i, I gotta say i think those effects hold up very well for the most part in the, in the dog sequence, I say once it's out, it doesn't, but like, well, I think it's that one moment where you see it kind of ripping through its chest. It just looks obviously like fake fur. Um, it was funny. I've seen the puppet back when ADI was yeah. still in their old place. I saw the puppet up close. It looked amazing. Um, and I don't know what, cause there there's different puppets for different moments. There's one for the actual chest bursting. There's one for the movement underneath it. So there's different setups. So I'm not really sure what setup I saw, I just, just, it was just a couple transitions that just didn't read, that didn't read as realistic. And I think also the issue here is, um, again, the effects on the first two films were, they're still to this day, essentially unimpeachable, but in Alien oh, yeah. 3, they, they oh, they're a mess. just, yeah, they're a mess. And that's, I mean, as much as I love and adore Alien 3 as oftentimes my favorite of the trilogy of the original trilogy, uh, there are some fuck ups in it for sure that, that pull you out of it. Can I just add to Patrick what you were saying in defense of the funeral scene? I actually also enjoy that scene just for the layers that you get with the the prisoners, right? And how they run their sort of small colony on this planet and just how like how I guess 
the idea of faith and like religion to them is such like a saving grace for them that they for a moment like take this so seriously even though they like just met this person they're like they're so like offended that a woman is there on this planet but the fact that she asks to cremate the bodies and they do this like very ceremonial ritual with her and it's just like very I, th- I thought it was really powerful and that juxtaposed with the w- with the birth of the you know the creature the beast was I thought was really great as well but uh, to your point you said something about j- just it adding to like the universe of alien like this future that we that you know Ridley Scott created an alien like the okay we live in this time now where we can where we're mining ore on other planets and other solar systems like oh geez like what what else is out there like what is what must earth be like right like oh so there's this backwater planet where they send these like really awful people to live like that's it's just is like so to think about it and then to christian to your point like I do enjoy the ox scene as well because it gives you like, like you see the queen face hugger. You you get to think about like okay, the queen face hugger can lay two um, embryo. You know the queen and then its protector. Like that was so cool to me, especially like when I was younger and like collecting the NECA toys, right, and all that stuff. Just like thinking of that whole universe. But now as a, as I'm older, like I really do appreciate the funeral scene more because of the weight that it adds and just like the grandiose, like, I guess, world building or whatever that you'd want to call it, um, that it adds to. And when you like really think about it leading up then to the, the end of the film, um, when Waylon Yutani and the real Bishop comes and they come to this backwater planet and these people mean nothing to them. And, um, it just really like, I don't know. You just like feel really bad when these guys like give their life to help Ripley out to like kill this thing. I love when Moore says he's sitting on top of that thing and he goes, they kid or uh, it killed my mates too. And he's like shouting at it and he's so pissed and, and like wants to do something about it, but they can't make a decision. Like I, I love all of that. And I, I know I just went on a super long tangent, but um, I, I do enjoy the funeral uh scene as well just just for that what it adds to um the insight into those characters and and just i guess like what how you might grow with them throughout the rest of the film we commit this child and this man to your keeping O lord their bodies have been taken from the shadow of far nights I don't mind the funeral. I mind the way it was cut. I mind the heavy-handed juxtaposition okay. that how it was cut. It, it feels like a completely different film. It doesn't even feel like David Fincher. It feels like a second unit director. Like it's so like over like with, with within every seed, there's a promise of a flower. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh so there's a <laughs> dog. There's a chestburster coming. Like it's just like showing and telling and you don't do that in a film. And David Fincher is smarter than that. And I, that's just for me, like, it's so overly poetic. I love poetry that doesn't raise its head. I love poetry that you have to uh, excavate and uh, end the game. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I that's that scene as long as Andrew is talking. 
I love how yes, yes. Andrew's reading is. It's as soon as Dylan opens his mouth. But part of that is also, I really don't like Dylan because he's an underwritten character. If they had given us, like if he was using this as an opportunistic moment to, hey, I've just been handed these, these two people to bury. I'll use that to galvanize or you know, to, to bring the brotherhood closer by spouting out my, my gibberish some more. But it doesn't make any sense. He, he runs hot and cold. He's either, he either is the leader or he's telling you to your face, I'm not, I'm not the leader. I don't want to be the leader. That's not actually special edition versus theatrical. Let me tell you something I don't like about the uh, assembly cut, okay? And it comes in the very next scene. So Ripley goes to the cafeteria to thank Dylan for his bullshit poetry, right? When she walks in, everyone turns around and looks at her, right? Well, in the assembly cut, Aaron and Andrews are sitting there. And Andrews says to Aaron, just as I suspected or something like that. And it, it blows my mind She's disobeying your orders and you're not getting up and taking her by the arm and leading her back to the infirmary. And so they beautifully cut out that little bit. They're still sitting there, but it's just two more bald people sitting in a room of bald people. So you don't even notice that they're there in the theatrical cut. So there are things in the assembly cut, about two seconds that need to be trimmed. Now, one of the things, since I have the mic for a second, I'm the only person here that saw this movie in the theater. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Jamie didn't see it. Perry and Patrick were in diapers. Xander, I don't know. So I, I sat there and the opening of the film, it comes up on the screen and says, unidentified 12-year-old girl. And my best friend and I are like, wait, what? That doesn't, did not watch that movie? Newt isn't 12 years old. And so in the assembly cut, it's, it's adjusted. It's still not quite right. She's 10 years old, according to that version. But it led to all of these theories, at least that my friend and I had, but I've heard other people did too, that something had happened between Aliens and Alien 3 that would account for these missing years, even though that makes no, no sense for, for Hicks's wounds and for, you know, Bishop and all of that. But Neil Blomkamp knows what happens. Neil Blomkamp knows what happens. <laughs> <laughs> just think of that. I have to say, just to get this off my chest, um, the, the sweet spot for me as an Alien Saga fan was after Aliens came out until before Alien 3 came out because those two films, Alien and Aliens, are perfect. I didn't even want a sequel. I don't, I don't remember anybody talking about what happens next, especially because Dark Horse was putting out Aliens Book 1, Book 2, and Earth War written by Mark Verhaden, which gives us the further adventures of Newton Hicks 10 years later. And so there was this sense of Ripley's story's already done, other people can have adventures now. And so when Alien 3 crashed into that and took that away, um, that's a, you know, that's a wound that's still there for a certain percentage of fans. And the assembly cut doesn't fix that. It is, it blows my mind how sloppy the films are in both of their incarnations. Like honestly, of Alien 3, like both of the cuts are, are tru truly a mess. Like there's just continuity errors all over the place that we've tried to find ways to explain away. And it, you know, it's one of those things where if you truly love the film, like you just, you know, forget about it. But like, it says a lot that in the actual theatrical release of this film, among other things, we have a major character who just disappears. Like we've talked about him a couple times tonight, but like Gallic 
just doesn't ever get seen again. And and so you're left with this like assumption that he died at some point or or like, you know, got in a rowboat or something. I don't know where, but like, but that's that's like a pretty big omission. And it's pretty crazy that like the continuity people during editing, who I'm assuming had quit by the time the movie was actually being edited, that nobody was like, oh, we should probably at least wrap up what happens to him somewhat. Uh, like there are there are huge gaps in the film that exist either way you look at it. And the effects, I think, are a great window into that. And both versions of the movie, as Jamie was pointing out, they're really all over the place in this film. And the first two movies were not like that. The first two movies were very, very, very consistent and consistently excellent. And uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is Alien 3 is interesting because it came out as a mess. Like it came out, as we've talked about ad nauseum, as this script compilation that had pages getting shoved. I mean, I, like literally, I, I bet I bet pages were shot out of order by accident because they hadn't put they didn't put the right page numbers on. Like I guarantee shit like that was happening in this movie, but they just went with it, you know. And uh, and Guyler and Hill were just trying to make it work, and then Fincher was you know stressed out, and they came to the editing booth at the end of all this with a movie that probably was was awful. Like the in in the initial work print versions of this movie. I'm sure it was complete nonsense. And getting to the theatrical from that meant tons of selective editing and cutting things down and trying to make continuity work. And that's why I think it mostly works for me is because it ends up making something cohesive out of something that feels very messy. With the assembly, there's a lot more time in my, I mean, it's it's 30 something minutes longer than theatrical, right? There's just a lot more B-roll in it in general. There's a lot more like Vista shots, which I love. I love getting to see more of Fury 161. Like I love that stuff. But it's just that everything's dilated enough that you have, or at least I have more time to focus on the things that are kind of like, what? Like, how did she get back over there? Like these little things that kind of add up uh, so that by the end of the movie, I've spent too much time in the assembly cut thinking about that. I think that's part of the problem. I think the theatrical cut, does not overstay its welcome. It's a pretty tight movie, especially the second half. Like the back half of that film just moves at a, at a clip. And with the assembly, when it you have all these moments where the action stops again and you have all these character things, you know, was, uh, Dylan is a great example of this, right? He has much more dialogue in the assembly. Um, I, I say that as a huge Dutton Dylan fan. Um, it's too much. Like it, we don't need that much time with him and we don't need that much time with Golic either. Like Golic is in like six more scenes in the assembly cut. It's crazy. And I, I think I think that's part part of why it doesn't work as well for me personally. Beads on mines. It was it, nobody can stop it. What about bogs and rains? It got slaughtered like pigs. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I, I I would agree with all of those points, Patrick. Um, I feel like the theatrical cut just moved at a better pace. Uh, but to something uh, Christian said earlier, it's really true that. We are, this is a, a discussion of, of comparisons that we can't help make. We're so used to the theatrical that we're just judging the assembly based off our experience of the theatrical, and it's not going to match up. And I think it it's hard to kind of look at the, the assembly as its own thing, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, we're, we're already over here. But in the assembly, it's like, oh, wait, we're over here first, and then we're over here, and then they got to say this. Now we're over here at where we were, like where the theatrical cut picks up. It's it's a tough thing, but as objectively as I can manage it, I do feel like the assembly slows it down too much. It feels like a, and not in a way, for instance, and I'll always, always um, go to battle for this, even though Ridley Scott himself said that the, um, the egg morphing scene in Alien, even though it was cut and it was cut for pacing issues, I am a 
big proponent of that scene only because it's unlike anything I'd ever seen and still have ever seen in an alien film that I can, ex- I can give it a pass for stopping the action because it's, it's unbelievable. It's grotesque. It's the, it's the ship has become, has, tr- has become something different. The ship is almost becoming this living organism and I haven't seen that. So I'm okay with it stopping right there. So Ripley can take a look at it, but in the assembly, those kinds of things aren't happening. It's just some longer dialogue here and then more repetition. So they try and catch it. It doesn't work. They try and do other things and, you know, things go off and there's fires and guys get killed. Then they try and catch it. Like it's so repetitious in the assembly. I can't, it's hard to watch for me. Like, and maybe it only, it's only hard to watch because I know that in the theatrical, the pace is just moving uh, at a, uh, in a way that I can enjoy more. I just feel like the, this, the assembly slows it down to like this crawl. And that's not my experience of the film. They catch it once. Gallic releases it. That, that's the only additional wrinkle. The question is, while it's caught, what are they going to do? And that's when we get the, the wonderful back and forth with 85 about, you know, w- what are we telling the company in this, in this transmission that we're going to send? Are we telling them that we've caught it? Or are we telling them that there's been a, a leak or whatever? Um, and then you have to have more information about Gallic for any of that to make sense. But also... That conversation that Dylan has with, um, oh, I lost their names, with the, the two guys that don't want to work with Gallic. The, the reason that that I think is important. Bogs and Reigns. Bogs and Reigns. The reason that we need that is because that's the only time that we're told what the hell they're doing. In the theatrical cut, we just cut to these guys. There's a, a bunch of candles and they're just out there. And it, it's the first time in the, in the first three movies that we're presented with people that we have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. Not that, you know, the, the movies allow us to learn by observing, but there's nothing that we can gain from this because it's absurd. We just don't understand. And the theatrical cut, because it's trimmed down that way, it's, it's intent on showing us these people just before they get murdered, not in giving us the reason that they're out there. And the assembly cut can't fix the fact that the reason they're out there is stupid and the alien is acting stupid, blowing out candles for some reason. I, I just, ugh. anyway, I like to picture the alien actually like birthday cake blowing out can't like well it has those Michelle Pfeiffer lips. <laughs> it's right? sticking it's it's sticking yeah, a little though. mouth out and it's like <laughs> yeah, I want, I want to see that. there's it's so frustrating to, to what you were saying, Patrick. In alien or aliens, you can freeze frame just about any moment. And when you see the creature, you know, freeze frame those moments, even though even though in aliens it's dancers uh, in Leotards uh, interspersed with these seven foot tall dummies that they explode repeatedly, same shot. Um, you can freeze frame it and it's it's visually consistent. Alien three, the scale of the creature changes sometimes from shot to shot, like in a, in a sequential order. Um, when the, when the alien comes down to uh, to kill Clemens and and face off with Ripley, um, it, it it's like it's nine amazing. feet tall. <laughs> Or, yeah. it, or it's so small that it doesn't make any noise when it hits the ground. I mean, just it's it's big, it's small, it's close, it's far. It, you can't, you cannot get a sense in that film of where it is in relation to reality because half the time it isn't really there. It's this, it's this rod puppet business. Um, and, and, and go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I'm just ranting at this point. The because again, that's not the discussion we're here to have. 
it's theatrical versus special edition or, or assembly cut. And to Charles de Lazarica's credit, they didn't try to clean up or improve any of the special effects, any of the creature shots. I'm glad they didn't. I don't know. It's It, it ends up actually potentially being the worst looking rendition of the alien for all that it's possibly the most beautiful version of the creature at its core. Like when you see an idealized version of the runner, it is gorgeous. Too bad you don't ever see that in the movie. Yeah. And I think, well, first of all, Giger's concept sculpt of the the beast that he designed for Alien 3 is gorgeous with the lips and everything. It's it's just, it's very much, it's more Giger than the Big Chap is, in my opinion, where the Big Chap is toned down just a little bit, whereas Giger is really about that androgynous kind of sexual, but horrific. And that is what the, I don't know, the dog alien, the runner, if you want to call it that, is in Alien 3. But I think the the worst damage, even if you look at the theatrical versus the you know, the assembly is honestly, it's Tom Woodruff Jr. in that suit. Like he doesn't cut with that rod puppet whatsoever. He's a tall guy. I've met him in person. He's very tall. He's like six, five, six, six, something like that. But he's got very broad shoulders. He's got very thick. Um, he's got parry guns. Well, not guns, but like, what do you call them? Cannons, your legs, very thick, uh, very big thighs. Trunks. So, Trunks, that's tree trunks, <laughs> tree trunks. And I don't know why they went with the decision to have him in that suit that he wouldn't cut with that very sinewy, slight, scary, thin rod puppet, which is beautiful. And then you're going to cut to this guy in this bulky suit that looks like shit, you know, like it's just the strangest thing. And it's weird to talk about this film in a way where it's kind of disparaging because as everyone knows, it's my favorite of the series. And I think it's a masterpiece, but when it fails, it fails. And it, it failed in the creature department. Oh, well, I mean, I think the best scene in the film is when it's right next to Ripley. I mean, that scene is just the, the, the animatronics on that, just every moment of that, not the moment right when it walks up to her, because that's composited and you can totally see the lines around it. But when it's next to her, those effects, that moment is as good as anything I'd seen in, in both of the original of the first two films. But uh, yeah, it, it's sad that it doesn't hold up, but it never did. Even when it released, it was just shit. Uh, sounds like you fucking hate it, Jamie. I got to be honest with you. Wow. It sounds like you. Fucking I think we hate need it. to record another episode oh, man. <laughs> of yo, I fucking hate it. <laughs> it is definitely the third best movie in the series. We all agree on it. <laughs> It is wildly inconsistent in every single regard, this movie, and it continues to be to this day. And the creature stuff to me, even as a seven or eight year old, when I saw this for the first time, maybe, maybe I was nine when I saw it. Uh, even then I was like, wait, what? Like, because the rod puppet is so clearly juvenile or something. It like looks like this baby version of it. But then when it's lumbering around as, you know, literally, I mean, like, uh, uh, like Woodruff Jr. is like an ectomorph. He's a large person in terms of width. You know, and of course, in aliens, like Christian was mentioning, you had a bunch of dancers and leotards who were kind of stocky compared to Balaji in the first film, because like nobody has that build. Right. But like, but because of shadow and because of the way that they were shot and the way they were clad, you couldn't really tell in this one. Like there are several basically full body shots of it where it just it is just a different creature than the rod puppet. And there is there's no way there's no way to justify that. Like there's no way that you can forgive the movie for that. It looks fucking awful. Right. But then there's those moments like Jamie was mentioning where it 
crawls up to Ripley or when it looks up at Golic and the blood comes off its mouth. I mean, that's like fucking incredible yes. alien shots. And those, t- because, because I love this movie so much, those just, that's like all I need. That just floats me right like a dandelion. Mm-hmm. On the and I'm just like, okay, I'm okay. I love this movie. You like know? falling through breakaway glass. <laughs> like falling through. <laughs> People don't know the game and they're going to know what the fuck these I jokes know. are about. Inside joke. Michael y'all. Douglas, we'll the it. game. Watch it. We'll explain it at some point. And then listen to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> But now, it, it's just, it, it is just it is just crazy to me that even with the assembly cut, and I actually do have a thing to 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 kind of circle back around to as we as we come to a close here. But it's crazy to me that even with the assembly cut, it's still such a sloppy movie. Like it is still just all over the place. And I guess my question is, you know, when we had Charlie on, of course, he made quite a point many times talking about how they made conscious decisions not to fuss with anything. They didn't want to clean things up. They did no ADR whatsoever for it. They did no digital recoloring or anything. Maybe they did some stuff, but they they, wherever possible, they left the film grain on, they left it dirty. They didn't, they didn't touch it up. Right. Which of course, I mean, for any other movie I can think of, it wouldn't work, but in the context of alien three, because it's already fucking all over the place. Like you barely even notice that some of the audio is off and you know, it's just like, it's everything's inconsistent. Right. But, uh, I'm curious for all of you, would you like another assembly cut that tries to fix the technical things or would you rather keep what we have? Well, keep keep in mind the multiple iterations of the Star Wars special editions and how the CGI, because that's of course what they would go to, continuously dates itself and has to be refreshed. That's one of the hugest problems with CGI is what we think looks amazing and cutting edge in 1999 or 2000 Oh boy, that that Jabba looked so bad. They had to go in and, and keep fixing it, and then I no he steps um, on his tail outside the Millennium Falcon. It's like, come on. <laughs> Plus, oh my God, inserting that scene where they did means that that's the first time we see the Millennium Falcon. So it robs the next moment of Luke saying, "Oh, what a piece of shit," which is not what he says. But anyway, um, okay, all right, no, unless you can get um, David Fincher and a DeLorean that you know has this flux capacitor in place there there is no more that we can do to alien 3 i don't i don't think there's a way to go back and you can go back and you can clean up the effects absolutely in fact there was something about the um guys help me out who someone was talking about how maybe the um the compositing wasn't done right when it was converted to dvd or something and that that could actually be improved jamie patrick i i don't know about that but the compositing looked like shit before it was converted to dvd in my, I mean, I, well, as the guy that was in the theater, I can guarantee it looked terrible, you know, right from, from day one, but maybe there's a way to clean that up. So you don't have those lines. Oh, for sure. There's a way all they do is import it digitally and they clean it up. I mean, it's obviously not that easy. There's a whole process in place for digitally restoring, but films are digitally restored all the time. They can totally do it. I would be a huge fan of them. Like it's not going to take away from the film to have the compositing look better, to have a look like that that rod puppet is actually in the shot as opposed to floating in the shot which is Mm. what it looks like um i would be totally for that what about um doing a little bit of cg to give the suit the correct dog legs that's something that that i've seen people do in still images where they've they've taken the shot where it's it's standing in the lead works with you know stocky human legs and, and tennis shoes or sneakers and, and, and replaced size it with, 38 pants yeah right, yeah, and, yeah. And, and replaced it with with the correct legs and it does look a lot better uh but then you start getting a little finicky like what, what else are we going to fix 
yeah. uh, because technically the face hugger that we see at the beginning of the film, if we're going with the assembly cut, it doesn't have the details of the queen face hugger that we then see held up. So do we go and fix that? And it, I don't know. I think it's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I, th- I think just let's leave it. We know. I mean, there's so much that's come from how this film was made and w- what the end product that we got. Um, obviously, like it's it's allowing us to talk so much about it. And, um, you know, we all know that. Well, we don't know, but we we know we have an idea of what we know the journey Fincher went on to even get this film finished. Um, that I think it just add it just adds to that in a way. And I, and I know people probably hate that and like wish it, you know, a million times it would have been done over and, and we would have gotten a completely different story. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only thing I could slide on to, I guess, is the digital remaster, I guess, of uh, just like fixing, the, you know, just that piece of it, maybe. I, I don't know. I wouldn't have it any other way. What I would love is a version. And Mr. DeLazarica, if you're listening to this, congratulations on the birth of your child, for one thing. But also, I would love a version that cuts 12 minutes out. It's 12 minutes tighter. And almost all of the excised footage is creature footage. I would love one that barely shows it at all the mm. whole time. We just see just inferences of it. We get the POV shots so we know kind of where it's going. We get some of the really good, uh, the the animatronic shots, the headshots, and maybe a glimpse of the puppet. But like other than that, I think that the movie works best when it's the least explained and shown. And it's one of those things where we can just sort of take it with our imagination and I think uh, it's a cut that nobody will ever make because Alien 3 is already something that everybody who made it, I mean, everybody who was involved in it has distanced themselves from. So there's like no champion in the industry for this movie whatsoever. Uh, so it's not going to happen. But, you know, that is a cut that an Alien fan could make <clears throat> if you're listening to this. So, you know, I think that that could be a really fun thing to see if anybody has some time on their hands and wants to try to make a version of it that's just a little bit tighter. I think that could be really cool. And I think that... Uh, it's a shame because the rod puppet, as you can see in all of the behind the scenes footage, for example, the the uh, the Alien Three trading cards, which Perry you just got some when you were here at my house recently, it was yes. pretty sweet. Yeah, yes. You know, you see those cards and you see all this great wire footage, and you see the puppet in motion, and you see it, it looks like incredibly good. And then they they put it in the movie, and it looks like a chocolate turd in a baseball sock, you know, inchworming across the ceiling. And it's crazy to me <laughs> that they put all that work in, and it looks like that. So just get rid of it. Just like just let it not be there. And give us something imaginative and tight that nobody will care about other than the people listening to this podcast right now. But do it for us. Yes. I'm really curious. I've heard people have timed exactly how much um, how much screen time the big chap gets, for example. And I'm really curious how that compares to the runner in Alien 3. Uh, and it will not be a fair, favorable comparison, I'm sure, because I, I'm hearing what you're saying, Patrick. I think we need to see less. We know the aliens there. We've just just give us those quick shots of the, especially of the of the suit or the animatronic, um, but my God, that would mess with the, the. We don't we don't want to lose the score, right? And everything is timed to the the current runtime. I don't know. That wasn't helpful at all. None of that was helpful. No, I, anyway. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm staring at a space because I'm currently kind of editing it in my head. And I think the score could still work because the score could do a lot of the heavy lifting for the film. And I think the way to do it, we've talked about this in a couple of recent frame rate episodes. If the sound design is 
better because the set the sound design in Alien Three is not very good in my opinion, which is a real shame because it's it could have been. If the sound, if we had a brand new Dolby, you know, mastered track to this thing, and again, hint, hint, anybody, Xander, <clears throat> if you want to do this cut for us, that used, you know, spatial audio and it was really heavy and had a lot of bass, similar to the, you know, beginning of Prometheus when the final engineer is walking and it, it feels terrifying. Give us that, like, give us, give us nails on a stone board, you know, climbing across the ceiling and that give me, you know, Goldenthal's music. And I'll be very, very happy with that. The fact that it's reductive. I'm sorry. Now this is, this has got me excited. You know, we're not talking about adding anything new. It's about taking carefully taking out all the shots that are, are unnecessary. Hmm. I don't know. That could be very interesting if someone were to do that. If, if yes, <laughs> not trying to impinge on, on Disney's IP in any way. Oh, they don't give a shit <laughs> about alien three. They're like, Oh, we have the rights to that thing. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, they don't even anyway. talk about it. It's so weird. It's so weird to have a 30, 30 year anniversary. And, uh, to Nothing. that end, this yeah. is the last yeah. Alien 3 discussion we are having in the, its 30th year anniversary, FYI. So it's been a really great time. It's been, we've had so many great conversations. I feel like there's still more to talk about, but there oh, always yeah. is going to be more to talk about. And uh, 2023 will probably prove to be a very great year for us as Alien fans. But well, we carried the torch for Alien 3 this year. Absolutely. This yes, we did. Yes, we did. has done so much to to celebrate Alien 3 and... Um, I'm so proud of that because I do actually love this movie. They think we're, we're crud and they don't give a fuck about one friend of yours that's, that's died. Not one. And don't you think the best way to thank us for carrying the banner this year would be to make the edit of the film that we keep talking about? <laughs> send us a check for a million dollars. I'm sorry. I thought that was going to be a Patreon lead in. <laughs> I just want this fucking movie. You can give us money too, if you want. <laughs> so we all agree that the uh, assembly cut is the best cut. I'm glad that that was resolved. And now we just want to make it tight. 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 So uh, as we pull to a close here, and again, this is the last thing that we're recording in calendar year 2022. So thank you, especially to all the patrons who have supported us in so many ways this year, not just with your, you know, well-earned money, but also just with your conversations, your friendships, your constant inspiration, your suggestions for episodes, all the ideas you had for shows that we did for for the patrons only this year, but also the, the full shows that we do on both of our, you know, podcasts. Uh, thank you so much as we come to this, you know, this time of the year for for being there with us the whole way. And a special shout out to uh, our patrons who joined since November, uh, which are, and I, a couple of you have already gotten a shout out, but I'm doing it again because you're worth it. Uh, Stephen Barton, James, Larry Cornett, Martin Griffin, and Thomas Johnstone. Thomas just joined us a little under uh, a month ago. Thank you so much. It was due to you all that we were able to shoot the short film that we just made. Oh, just over a week ago, we finished filming on it, or at least principal photography for it. And uh, that we could not have done that at all had we not had your support. Uh, and now we're going into this wonderful period leading up to this you know, amazing Alien Day where we're definitely going to get some Fede Alvarez stuff to talk about. And we're going to have a film to show you that will have been edited and scored and, you know, special effects, incredible miniature work is going to have been done by them. And, and that is all stuff that you directly supported. And if you would like to join and you haven't yet, we really would love to have you aboard. You just go to patreon.com slash perfect organism or go to our website and go to the support page. If you do that for just a few dollars a month, for $4 a month, you get access to tons of content that we put out. 
uh, every single month. And and more importantly than that, we think is you become part of our official extended family and we get to have you aboard the ship with us. Uh, and you give us insights and inspiration. And thank you so much for being here. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.